This year at NetApp Insight, I decided to try something new. I took the podcast mobile and captured some audio from our esteemed booth employees. I wanted to get a feel for the pulse of insight from the boots on the ground. It's like being there without having to have your badge scanned. Be sure to let us know what you think about this segment at podcast at netup.com. All right, I'm here at NetApp Insight 2018 in Barcelona, Spain. I am going to walk around here and I'm going to talk to some folks at the booths. So let's see, we're going to make our way down to the NetApp area, see what's going on before the people start trickling in from the general session. Hi guys, how's it going? I'm here to ask you questions about your HCI solutions for the podcast. So who, who wants to talk about that? Anyone want to talk about what now? The HCI, what's going on at the booth? Oh, well, so let's first got... let's, let's let's hold off. Let's see who you are. This is uh, Chris Rodriguez. C Rod is better known. C Rod, do you have a Twitter presence? Uh, not yet because I'm moving teams. I'm going into the HCI team starting Monday, oh. and I will have a Twitter presence Monday. So. All right, is that a requirement for HCI team? Yes, it is. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. All right, so tell me about what's going on here at this booth. So what we're showing here is basically um, remote graphics and our new NVIDIA GPU node that will be coming out in January, February timeframe. It'll be order portable December 13th. And here we have set up an RTP, um, Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, an HCI node uh, with GPUs built into it with, a, with our um, Element OS back end. And we're also using ONTAP Select here for uh, the SIFS portion of VDI requirement. And this is a VDI session. We've got um, uh, some graphics here, drawings. Here's an exploded view of, um, uh, of uh, a scooter. You know, in e-drawings, we can bring up medical applications. We can run test benchmarks. And all these images reside over the ocean 5,000 miles away in Raleigh-Durham. I have a little bitty um, Lenovo. Basically, I call it a thin client because it's a little bitty Nova, Lenovo PC with an NVIDIA GPU in it for the endpoint that helps does offloading uh, graphics hardware decoding here. And then we have the NVIDIA GPU server card in the server for virtualization and VDI. So what's really impressive about this is there's no degradation whatsoever in the motion of the moving of the uh, image. And I can manually move it. I can edit it. I can collaborate up to four with this solution and our partner for the TGX protocol. I can collaborate up to four sessions. So I can have four physicians looking at the same MRI, same image, four engineers. I gave a presentation to some companies that had engineers in Japan, engineers in Detroit. And you probably know what industry it is since I mentioned Japan and Detroit. And then we, I was in Dallas and we were all collaborating and looking at the same exploded automobile uh, pictures and graphics and designs and so you can collaborate with a solution and you can do global access which is really really impressive so this data here resides on a system back in raleigh is that on an hci system or is it on an ontap system it's on an hci system for the vdi session it's on an h610c uh-huh. and the back end is storage is h h610s but then for the sifs portion of vdi the NAS portion, which Justin, you know, because I always ping you and ask you, can we do this? Can what's, we do what's this? What's NAS? Yeah, what's NAS? Yeah. So, yeah. so the SIS portions for profiles, home directories, uh, and Citrix, the PVS, PDS, we have it running on ONTAP Select. 
So this thing here, what is this running down here? Yeah, this is just like a thin client. Just a thin client? Yeah, basically. It's just a, a, a MPPC running Windows 10 Okay. so that I can access the, the VDI session remotely out of Raleigh Durham. Is this over the Wi-Fi? Uh, no, it's not over Wi-Fi, but it is dedicated. But if you look here, we only, we're only getting about 5 megabits. See, 4.47? So this is a five megabit uh, land speed line, which is a good question because I have customers ask me all the time, um, what's the minimum bandwidth in order for our, our physicians or our engineers to work from home or our users, our knowledge workers? This node is really geared towards Windows 10 users and knowledge workers. And so I answer that question. I say, typically at the house, they need to have at least 10 megabits of, of bandwidth. But you know, you can see right here, we're demoing it with uh, five megabits of bandwidth dedicated line. Yeah, and I imagine they're asking about the minimum requirements because some of these things are in very remote locations. Maybe they're even using something like satellite broadband in those cases. What, what would this do with a satellite broadband? Would that just not be robust enough? Um, I have done this, believe it or not, and I've done demos with uh, different organizations, large enterprise customers, with just uh, the SEs went in with a cell phone, and we hotspotted off the cell phone, and they were getting one to two megabit bandwidth speed. And the customer was real impressed with everything. We normally don't recommend that. So if the satellite bandwidth is not um, capable of providing at least five megabits of, of bandwidth speed, then it's not really going to be acceptable to the engineers. So you're telling me I can't do this on an airplane Wi-Fi? Uh, no, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, I'm telling you that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to do that either. It's Delta hard. Delta would rather you not do that either. <laughs> Delta won't let you do that. Delta will throttle you to death and still charge you the full amount. Um, cool. So that's a pretty cool uh, demo here. I have not seen this before. Uh, Amit, you're also here at the booth. You're also doing HCI stuff, but you also had a session. Yep. So Amit Barulkar, uh, and you can find him at, at Amit underscore Barulkar. That's it. Right. I said it right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes if you can't, don't want to spell it or you're in the car or something. So Amit, you did a session. What was your session and what sort of results did you see from the session in terms of how people received it? Yes, so I did a session on Red Hat OpenShift container platform on NetApp at CI. So that's uh, one of the new solutions that we just released on NetApp at CI. Uh, it enables you basically to run both uh, microservices-based workloads and your virtualized workloads. Maybe even Chris's uh, VDI workloads alongside on the same platform on NetApp at CI. So, uh, we, in the session, we talked about like what does it actually take to run uh, container orchestration at scale in, at an enterprise, and uh, then we talked about uh, how uh, OpenShift Container Platform and NetApp HCI are better together to provide you a seamless, uh, uh, a seamless uh, experience to actually deploy containers at scale. All right, cool. So, uh, how many how many people did you have in your sessions, roughly? Oh, so the sessions were quite popular. So, uh, today uh, today's session was at 9 a.m. and we had a party yesterday, the NetApp appreciation party. But still, I could get a session. Uh, but I could still get around 35 to 40 people in my session, uh, which was good. And uh, it was a very interactive session where people were uh, asking questions throughout. So, yeah, it was. 35 to 40. I mean, it's no flex groups, but that's pretty popular. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so Jeff Steiner is here. Uh, he is he is our resident uh, database 
and I guess cloud now too, right? Um, pretty much the database solutions guy. If a database yeah. is involved in some way, then I'm there too. All things database. That should be your Twitter handle, but it is Tweet of Steiner actually, the Twitter handle. So Jeff, did you have a session here? And if so, how was that doing today and how was it received? I've had six in all. Um, five that down, all? one to go. Um, <laughs> I've done, I'm doing Oracle beyond the best practices. I've wanted to do this for years where I... I Oh, who cares about the best practices? There's a TR on it. There's some mount options. There's a kernel parameter. Just read it. The, that session is about what are the cool things that you can do if you really embrace the ONTAP feature set for your database environment. The second one is databases with cloud volumes, both cloud volumes on tap and cloud volume service. Not the same product, just a similar name. They serve very different purposes. Um, and really all about how do, you, how do you do databases in the public cloud with a more enterprise class experience. And then the last one is actually the session that brought me to the booth here. That is database containerization with Kubernetes. And um, the reason I wanted to come over to the booth is just to we'll kick some ideas around because personally, this is my personal opinion, I would like to, I, I would like to see hyper-converged solutions that are pure containers where there is no hypervisor layer. What you've got are the storage nodes and you've got basically Linux nodes that are container enabled. And there would have to be a user interface to knit it all together. But I think this is where the industry is going. And I've tinkered around with the idea a little bit and I'm just trying to get a better idea of who's using HCI, why, what they want from it. Because this is where things are heading. It'll be a slow journey, but we'll get there. In general, people are looking at HCI for simplicity aspects. Maybe they're not the storage admins. Maybe they're the application consumers, and they want to use it for the ability to spin things up very quickly and not have to worry about being experts in storage, right? Yes, and, and I think that's what containers does. Like, let's say that you have an HCI environment with 1,000 VMs. You don't really want 1,000 VMs. You have 1,000 workloads you want to run in isolation. And for the most part, encapsulating that inside of a virtual machine, that workload in a virtual machine, like a VDI session, that makes the most sense. But as more and more applications can be containerized, why, why use that hypervisor middle, middleman? Just let the container run directly on the hardware. Like someday I wouldn't be surprised to see VDI done where it's um, a cluster of Windows servers with VDI container sessions. So you don't have multiple installs of the OS, multiple kernels running, all that extra stuff required to maintain an OS. You've got one OS, but lots of container environments running in perfect isolation from each other. Yeah, and using using virtual machines instead of containers, you're basically adding an extra overhead. Yeah. You've got to deal with the OS files. There's more space you have to take up. Most people don't actually need the VM. It's just that we all think in a in a segmented world of machines, right? We've yeah. we've been brought up on laptops and PCs, and that evolved into virtual machines. But containers is really just giving you the raw things that you need, right? Yeah, like think of a database. It's a small collection of processes, and it listens for connections on a network port. That's all the database is. You don't want all that extra stuff around it. It's the, the OS is there to support this small number of processes. If I can run those small number of processes in a container over and over and over again, lots of containers, one OS, I've got exactly what I need. And that's what Docker and Kubernetes is giving us the ability to do. So it starts with databases and micro-applications, and it grows over time. Like one of the more, most interesting things I've seen recently is you can run a VM in a container. 
So picture that. It's so, mind-blowing. So you start, you basically are, have that process that boots your VM, but it's running in a container. I can't think so of anyone who want to do that. But Well, yeah. let's say that you have a big Kubernetes cluster. You've got a thousand nodes in your Kubernetes cluster. This means one system, one infrastructure, where you could run a lightweight container with just a few database processes, or if warranted, an entire operating system environment. You can do both with the one infrastructure. So it's not, do you do containers or VMs? You can do both on the exact same infrastructure. Yes, uh, and that actually makes sense because uh, right now, like as Jeff mentioned, many of the uh, third platform applications, as I would like to say broadly, are uh, getting into the design pattern that uses Kubernetes objects. Uh, but at the same time, you have an IT shop that still has to uh, support your existing applications before you refactor them to work in a containerized model. So we are going through the transition where people are actually trying to refactor their apps which they could or develop the new apps with the container design pattern. So I guess right now it makes, uh, right now uh, being able to support both of them on the same platform provides you an ad additional advantage that you need not have a dedicated infrastructure for both VMs or, uh, or microservices. So another way, that, another thing that makes this very, uh, I guess, appealing to people would be two, well, two things actually. So one would be the fact that with a VM, you pretty much have to have it always running if you want to run, say, a database query. Um, with a container, you can spin it up when you need it. So if you want to run the query, you spin it up, container spins up, you're done with it, it comes down, you're not eating up resources just to keep things alive, right? Yeah, that, I mean, and you have the option. Like you might have, most customers would start where you have databases that are just running same as you are now, you just don't have all the extra operating systems to support all the databases. But as you get more complicated, you could have a, a really complicated application environment where certain databases wake up, do a query, go back to sleep. And that, to me, that's one of the nicest things about managing containers. It, you're basically avoiding the boot up time. Like if I want to clone a database in a secure multi-tenant environment, I don't want to provision an entirely new operating system and then boot the whole operating system. With a container, the OS is running. I just start the process. So basically, the boot time for my virtualized environment is, what, a microsecond for the processes to start? The other, the other advantage is these containers are very lightweight. You know, you're not eating up a bunch of space and compute power. So if you want to make these things cloud resident, it becomes cheaper to run containers because you can spin up the containers when you need them and they run for a brief period and they spin down so you're not e e you know, using up a bunch of Amazon Web Services costs. And in addition to that, you're not using a huge amount of space for the installed operating system. And when you've got, say, 10 databases running as containers uh, with the same kernel, that is more CPU efficient and RAM efficient than trying to run 10 databases on 10 individual kernels with 10 sets of RAM. It also means that you're making full use of the CPU and RAM that you've got. You don't have one database server is running at 100% CPU and then the other expensive big AMI image you've got is idled. So you're making full use of those expensive CPUs that you've licensed for Oracle. Yeah. Uh, and adding to the portability aspect that you mentioned, 
containers also enable you to have a standard format. So for example, if you're using Docker, it's the Docker compose file. Or if you're using Kubernetes, it's the Helm chart. So basically, you define your application as a Helm chart or a compose file, and then you just move the YAML file across your infrastructures, whether you go to Amazon or Azure, your application's uh, wireframe is built and it just deploys. And consider this in addition with the data fabric story that NetApp provides. So Kubernetes provides you the paradigm to move your applications across premises, premise, premises. From it, I'm Prem. Yes, <laughs> and the clouds or multi-cloud. And uh, with our data fabric story, now you can also associate the persistent volume with your containers and snap mirror it to across multiple clouds. So it gives you 100% agility and portability to make your uh, operations seamless. I made that point this morning in my Kubernetes session because I, Elaine, I knew a lot of those attendees would be very new to containers and I was trying to talk to a DB audience, DB audience and say, what's in it for you? And one very important thing is that portability factor because in the Docker file that I built, my Oracle as a service image, what, as from the database point of view, it's running in Oracle Linux 7. And it doesn't matter what your actual OS is. The container is self-contained, self-defining, all components there. So I can configure this to run in a rock-solid, proven Oracle 7 environment. But the OS, where the container's running, it could be, right now, it's Red Hat 7.4. Tomorrow it might be Red Hat 8, Red Hat 9, switch it to SUSE 52. As, over time, the OS I'm using can evolve. The container remains the same. So it's portable, it's reliable, and I don't have to worry about, if I patch my operating system, when I patch my infrastructure, it doesn't affect the container. It's still, 50 years from now, it could still be running the same version of Oracle under Oracle Linux 7. Yeah, and on the flip side of that, if you ever needed to upgrade the Oracle version, let's say there's a bug and you need to, to update for that, uh, I'm not saying there would ever be a bug in an operating system. But you can just simply rebuild the container image, and then you know create the new container and start using that right away. And it's not—it's not a very fast process. It's not a very slow process to it. Well, uh, it's from a user point of view, it's about instantaneous. That's another part of the architecture because the, the, my persistent volumes, my persistent volume claims, where the persistent data lives, those are on ONTAP. But let's say I want to go—I want to patch the Oracle install. That's part of my container image. So I can just stop the container in a heartbeat, disconnect the volumes from the Oracle 12201 image, and then reconnect it to 12202. So it just takes me a second to bounce my database from the old image to the patched image, and now I'm up and running again. So if I do need to patch either the OS or the Oracle binaries, it's just a matter of changing the image that is managing my database. So, uh, Amit, do we have anything in the NetApp portfolio that could help us use containers, consume containers a lot easier? What sort of thing, tools do we have at our disposal? So, uh, uh, one of the most important uh, things that NetApp does is enable all the innovation that NetApp has done from a storage point since past 25 years now, or 26, and expose it at the Kubernetes layer. So, NetApp's project Trident actually enables you to uh, bring those space-efficient snapshots, clones, up the stack for an open shift or a Kubernetes uh, developer to instantaneously clone their applications. And uh, it also allows you to provision different types of storage. Uh, like uh, we were talking, uh, Jeffrey was talking about Oracle databases. So these uh, applications have different set of storage requirements in terms of IOPS when compared to uh, 
maybe a simple key value store like Redis. So Trident does a great job at actually dynamically provisioning different classes of storage for your different types of applications, thereby making your workflows uh, very simple. I also want to throw some credit to the people developing the Trident driver, whoever those coders are. These guys, these guys get how the open source community works. There was a feature I needed for my database as a service model that was just minor API that was missing. I sent them an email and I said, hey, um, I kind of need this to be done and it looks like it should be pretty easy. Is this doable? I get an email back. Yeah, we can do that. I said, oh, what, like, what, kind, of, what kind of release date are we talking about? They said, um, three or four weeks. And sure enough, a month later, I've got the feature I needed because I made the case for it, in a supported production release. And that, that's the way Agile development is supposed to be working, and it's been great. You're just protecting the names of the, uh, the guilty there. I, I, we, know, we know who those developers are. Rippy. Hi, Rippy. Ah, uh, Andrew Kerr. Uh, anyway, I don't want to leave anyone else. So I'm just going to stop there. Um, so um, anything else? Any thoughts on Insight in Barcelona? You know, have you been to Barcelona before? And how do you feel this compares to previous Insights? Amit. Uh, so I'll just like to conclude our previous container conversation. Oh, okay, let's go back and do that. <laughs> so we have always known that containers are like, there's talks about containers being ephemeral, etc. But like just now we heard about running like traditional or I would say first uh, category of applications like traditional databases which are containerized. So yes, your applications do need persistent storage and it can be accomplished using containers. All right, now, Barcelona, have you been here before? How do you think the conference went as opposed to previous years? Uh, actually, this is my first time at Inside Barcelona, and uh, I find the conference to be really uh, good in terms of uh, both uh, attendees and the presenters. Uh, in my sessions, I really got some good technical questions about people wanting to know more, so I would rate this very highly. All right, well, I'm going to talk like a tourist here. All right, tourist, let's see it. So, I mean, for the venue, I, I like having Insight Central directly above the conference rooms. Everything's nice and compact. It's easier to find people. Way easier rather to find. Than when you don't have the scroll. Yeah. Um, I, I am disturbing the locals a little bit because I'm from a place where it's, I think the overnight low tonight is going to be about minus 10 Celsius. So I'm here and in Barcelona in December, and it's like hot here, and I'm not wearing a coat. And people keep trying to send me back to the room and go get your coat or go get something warmer or sell me a coat. So It's really not that cold here. I mean, I come from North Carolina, and, the, and it's pretty much like a North Carolina winter. Some days it's a little warmer than others. Like, over the weekend, it was in the 60s, uh, Fahrenheit, whatever it is, Celsius. Did, but, you know it was, did you know it was going to snow this Sunday in Raleigh? I did know that. Uh, it's weird. Can it <laughs> snow in Barcelona? It probably can, but it probably doesn't very often. Well, no, in the mountains, there's certainly snow. I saw yeah. it on the way in, but I'm, I'm actually wondering. I'm going to have to look this up. Can it actually snow in the city of Barcelona? It sounds like a project for Jeff. <laughs> All right, guys. Appreciate it. So I'm standing here at the storage grid booth. I have Rohan Thomas and Krister Erickson. Uh, Krister's actually an RTP. Rohan, where are you located? Uh, Vancouver, Canada. Vancouver, all right. So you're out there with all the FlexGroup people. Yeah. All right. So uh, Storage Grid is a booth that we have here at NetApp Insight Central. How is the traffic been and what's the interest level? And I imagine it's, you know, tell me whether it's higher or lower than in, in uh, U.S. I have suspicions, but Christer. Well, yeah, I think it's been higher. It's been a lot of interest in, uh, particularly in fabric pools. And also we have the new storage grid appliance here on display. There's been a lot of interest in that. 
people always like to tinker with new hardware and open up open up the box to see what's inside. So, uh, and everyone who comes by has been uh, very interested, asked some good questions, and uh, it's been a sign too in that in the intro to uh, store to uh, storage grid and object storage. We had uh, 200 people registered. So, uh, I, yeah, I kind of guessed that it would be a little higher here in Europe. I think the overall interest in object storage has been a higher trend in Europe overall. I think it's more of a they're kind of first to things because I do see the trend going to storage, object storage, even in the states, uh, yeah. right? Um, so, Krista, what do you do at NetApp? So, w- what's your role? Uh, I do product management. So, I work in uh, in RTP. Uh, used to be more in SAN product management, and recently moved over to uh, object storage and storage grid. And Rohan, what do you do? I'm a technical marketing engineer, and um, recently I'm been involved in more of the Hadoop big data developments with Storage Grid. Okay. So, as far as Hadoop and big data with Storage Grid, how do you see people using Storage Grid in those in those use cases? Uh, right now, we're mainly uh, targeted for archive use case. Eventually, what we want to be able to do is uh, replace the ACFS layer with objects. So, uh, who had the session? Was it you or was it Luke? Uh, Luke had this. Luke session. had the session, so he's going to have to talk. He doesn't have a choice. Come on, Luke. Come on, session presenter. All right, so Luke Munn is here. He was a session presenter for the Storage Grid session. So tell me about this session. So I had a couple sessions in this uh, Insight. Uh, one was the intro, which was well expected by many people. I had one session, uh, had uh, 170 people came. That was good. Um, the other one was a tech team session, which was for NetApp internal as well as the partners. So that had a little bit less people than the other session, but uh, yeah, I, I was surprised to see that many people compared with the uh, inside sessions. So as far as uh, storage grid, since you're doing an intro session, I'm going to challenge you to give me the storage grid intro in less than five minutes. Go. Um, so storage grid is the enterprise version of, uh, of um, object storage from NetApp. Uh, I think it's the one of the most mature object storage solution out there on the market today. And the big differentiator uh, with other competitors is that you know i able to utilize uh, information lifecycle management policy engine to to manage the data whether it's SLAs or, or just the physical movement of the data um, you know um, controlling the, the protection levels of, uh, of, uh, of data as well yep. how much scale can you get out of this storage grid so each scale today uh, each storage grid can scale out to from single site to all the way to 16 sites and able to, in, in terms of capacity, 120 petabytes, uh, able to handle more than 100 billion objects, which, which are all soft limits. And uh, we're continuing to increase those uh, as we release the new storage grid versions. Does it build an index file so it makes things easy to find with all those objects? So the, 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 the indexing, search and indexing is not part of the storage grid itself. But with the storage grid version 11, we introduced uh, full integration um, to Electric Search of a customer's choice. So they can enable that uh, option, which allows storage grid to send out metadata to Electric Search, whether it's on-prem or instance up in AWS, and, and customer can utilize that uh, full feature within Electric Search, including building a custom uh, dashboard out of uh, tools like Kibana. How far can the sites be apart from each other? What's the sort of limit you have there? There's really no hard limit of how far. Um, we do have some limitation. Uh, we do recommend to be latency to be late, um, less than 100 millisecond if they are planning to do 
full geo-distributed ratio coding. But in terms of doing replication, there's no really hard limit of how far. So, you know, any anybody who has a data center maybe in uh, EMEA to Africa or to U.S., um, if, if you're they, they are planning to do replication only, then really no limit in, in a sense. So, Krister mentioned that a lot of people were interested in Fabric Pool and it ties into Storage Grid. So, what do you think the number one reason is that people want to use Storage Grid with Fabric Pools is? I'm sorry, I missed that. I what, thought it was for, for Christopher. Well, no, I was, I was oh, saying yeah, Christopher mentioned we use Fabric Pools. What do you think the number one reason people want to use Fabric Pools or Storage Grid would be? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all about pricing, right? Um, you know, I, one example is when you use traditional, um, traditional storage, there will be a time that you need to expand the, the storage because of the you know, increasing capacity requirements. And instead of spending money to keep adding a shelf, now you can utilize a cheap and deep feature coming from storage grid, right? Especially. And another thing is that big, you know, there's a no extra license cost if you're using storage grid versus sending out to AWS. So, um, you know, I do, I do strongly feel that if, uh, if you're reviewing uh, Fabric Pool, take a look at the storage grid option, right? Because of that. Yeah, and another reason would be performance, right? Having it on-prem, close by, is a lot better exactly. than having it in the cloud for performance. Correct. So one of the requirements uh, from, or one of the uh, recommendations from uh, Fabric Pool team, if they're planning to do AWS, is to run, run the Fabric Pool in Equinox because of that reason. And uh, if you have a storage grid, you don't need to worry about that because everything is on-prem, right? All right. Any other uh, thoughts before I head out to the next booth? No. Yes. If you haven't reviewed Storage Grid lately, we added a lot of new features, with, uh, especially with 11.1. Um, we added uh, compliance uh, and more, you know, better performance. And we also just in- introduced, announced a new Storage Grid appliance as well. So you haven't taken a look at that, I do strongly recommend you to review those. I would strongly recommend you to come on and talk about the new version of Storage Grid on the podcast in a full episode at some point. So are you in RTP or? Uh, I'm in Seattle. Seattle? Yeah. Okay. You can join remotely. You can join remotely. Absolutely. You're, you're on the hook to go locally because yeah, you're there. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, All I appreciate right, thanks, it. Thanks for talking. Yep. All right. Thanks, So I'm Justin Parisi. I'm with the Tech on Tap podcast. And I'm walking around the booths trying to find out what's going on with NetApp Insight, how the booths are going, what's new with things that you're working on, such as ActiveIQ. So first, tell me your name and how to find you on social media. Yeah, uh, my name is Badri Prashad. Okay, and you're uh, Badri Patra at uh, on Twitter, like at Badri Patra, right? Yeah, yeah. And your name? Anand Kumar. Okay, and you are in a. Oh my gosh, that's a long Twitter handle. I need to change that. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it just to shame them. Anand Ku nine one seven five five three zero two. Is that your zip code or your your social security number? What is that? It was just auto generated. I didn't change it. Yet. Oh yeah, you need to change that. You know, if you don't change that, people are gonna think you're a bot. So yeah. Okay. So um, Active IQ. What is new with Active IQ, and how has the booth traffic been? Who wants to take that one? Yeah, it was good. We got a lot of good feedbacks from the customers. They they liked. Uh, most thing about the advisory is what we have built, the risk advisor, the config compare, and mainly uh, they were more interested on the public API. We just released it. It's, it's on a beta phase currently. What is this again? It's actually API services. Okay, API, so, API services. So okay, so, so... So partners and the customers are super interested on the API services. Is it like API services in the ActiveIQ? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, so uh, basically, like whatever that we represent in the UI, right? 
partners can start uh, writing the code and then pull the data. They can integrate those data into their portal. So what sort of things would they do with that data? Why would they want to use it? Yeah. They might want to build a customized dashboard. They might want to do things which they might want to build a small utility for their sake. It's just giving access to the raw data so that they can cook it up and they can build on their own. Yeah, okay, they yeah. do not need to wait for us to do build everything. They can build it on their own. Well, you can also take probably multiple locations and pull them into the same pane of glass, right? Instead of having to go to different like places in Active IQ. Yeah. Uh, so config compare, what is that? So it, it's kind of an, uh, a config drift. So uh, what you can do is like when you when you set up your system, you can define a golden template, and whenever the auto supports are coming in. If there's a drift, right, it notifies you. Okay, cool. So uh, a lot of customers coming in, they've been giving a lot of suggestions. They, they love about the product. They come by, they stop, they talk about how how satisfied with their with our products. Okay, they, uh, it's really great to hear hear from them. Okay, so what do you guys do at Nena? What's your roles? So I'm from engineering for the ActiveIQ. I've been part of ActiveIQ for almost the last six years. The same here, we are in, from the engineering team, so the group is a mix of product management and the engineers. Okay, so I said the heavy hitters here, so I can ask you technical questions about the Active IQ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So what's the back end? Like, what is, what kind of, we're using a data lake, I imagine, right? So what, what's the data lake living on, and what sort of things are we running against the data lake? Uh, so we have, we have multiple data sources. We have a data lake, we have, we have Hadoop systems, and we build uh, APIs and AWS. Uh, we use Angular for the front end, so a lot of, lot of technology. The technology stack is very big. The telemetry services, which is getting us the data back, it comes to a big, very big Hadoop system. It uh, it has petabytes of the data. Then we have REST systems, which is providing data back to the tools. And the tools use a lot of technologies, as we talked about, the AngularJS and latest technology, AWS, Google Cloud, okay, cloud integrations. So what sort of things are you doing with machine learning and deep learning when you've got all this data coming from all these systems? I imagine there's some useful information that can come out of it. What's that looking like from the machine learning and deep learning side? Uh, we, we actually mainly used uh, uh, community wisdom. Uh, as I said, for the risk advisor, the config compare, we have used a lot of community wisdoms over there. And, and we do a lot of predictions today for the capacity forecast, what we have, what we have currently and that's exposed in the UI, it's in the API services. And uh, what we built on for the recommendation engine, which is which is built with the IBM Watson. So we actually push the data from the data lake to the recommendation engine, which goes to the IBM Watson and then we get the data back. So IBM Watson is kind of helping you analyze this data and figure out the best yeah. possible solutions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are we doing anything with predictive analysis, right? Where we say, oh, your drive is X number of weeks old or X number of years old. It might fail soon. Be on the lookout. So the prediction is mostly we have done it in the capacity forecast. Uh, so what we predict is like, uh, say your system is it's almost full and it is going to be full in three months or six months. So if you want to expand the storage, we have right on the dashboard, you can just select the systems. It sends an email to the support team so that they can expand the storage. Are we doing anything in terms of trying to, to use the data we have to kind of do things like that? Or we say, so, so, hey. So the, the new thing which is coming up is the vital signs. So that is purely with the data lake. So what we do is like, um, 
we have multiple factors like risk, contracts, and all those stuff. What we do is like we combine all those information, and then we we say, yeah, you are doing good among your peers. So that's actually coming up. It will come up in like another six or eight months. Okay, so we compare against other systems out in the wild. So you know, a lot of yeah. people wondering, you know, how, how do I compare to other yeah. you know platforms? Am I doing the right things? Um, are we doing anything around recommendations of best practices or you know at-risk systems type of things? Yeah, yeah, we are doing a lot of things on the. We talked about the risk advisory. We display all the risks and we predict, you know, which on top version if you upgrade to your risks will go up. So those kind of advisories we do, and at uh, upgrade uh, upgrading the software, firmware, we give recommendations. These are the things which you should do so that your system will run smoothly without any outage, without any issues. Recommendation are, are the part of ActiveIQ very much. Okay. And the API services is that based on REST API or is it something else? Yeah, it's it's purely based on REST APIs. So we actually use uh, Amazon AWS Lambda. So that is super fast. So we use those to build our APIs. Uh, pretty much in just in a week or two, we could able to build a lot of APIs with that, and then it's in beta. Awesome. So it's all cloud resident, which means that you don't have to manage it as a partner. You're basically using whatever we manage as NetApp. That's pretty cool. Uh, anything else you want to add about the event? And what your thoughts on Insight? Yeah, a lot of good feedbacks about this, and we are, we are actually getting a lot of interesting. Uh, uh, RFEs and the announcement with the partners and we are trying to add up a lot of stuff for the customers and partners. few things which uh, partners could not or customers could not email us or log it as a defect so they come and tell us it's a different kind of issue they talked about it and we have taken all the notes we have taken their email IDs going back to the home do some exercise reply back to them yeah, and I imagine they sent the developers here for that very reason, right? You need to, to get out there and talk to customers because if you're just stuck in a room somewhere writing it to the way you think it needs to work, that doesn't always work well, right? So we're actually listening to our customers and partners. Yeah, it, it's, it's a pretty good feeling for me because it's first insight. I've been working with uh, my auto support. That's a, that's a old of ActiveIQ. Then we just completely remembered ActiveIQ. By just seeing the customers and the partner for the first time, get a better feeling. I think I have to go and talk to my team, give the same feeling to them, we'll try to improve a lot. Anand, Padri, thank you yeah, so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, so I'm here at NetApp Insight 2018 at the ONTAP Select and Software Defined Storage booth. And uh, there are some very interesting people here to talk about this particular topic. And right here is the, the Ghostbusters backpack, uh, so you can bust some data ghosts. It even has a base on it. does. Uh, so, uh, standing here are Rebecca Pinheiro. Uh, hi, Rebecca. Can you tell everyone what you do and how to reach on social media? Hi, uh, I'm the VP of Sales for Vector Data. Vector is an OEM partner of NetApp. We do uh, small form factor rugged systems running on tap select and DC powered NetApp systems as well. All right. Also, here is Gabriel Sesternis. And, Gabriel, what do you do here? I'm part of the product management team for ONTAP Select, and you can reach me out at my email. That's the easiest way, gabriel.cisternas at netapp.com. All right, and last but not least, uh, Peter Scovrup. Uh, Peter, what do you do? Uh, ONTAP Select as, as one of the things. I know I've been on a number of your podcasts, so uh, people have probably heard about Select before, but so we're here promoting the solution. Yeah, actually, the only person here who hasn't been on the podcast is Gabriel. Exactly. So he's, yeah, so he's, he's the newbie. Uh, Rebecca was on with us with Vector Data. So uh, tell us a little bit more about Vector Data, what they do, and what's new. 
Um, so we've been partnered with NetApp since about 2007. Um, we started building the small form factor boxes when ONTAP Edge came out, and then when ONTAP Select was released, we've been developing uh, more products. We're currently uh, designing a few new systems. We have semi-rugged and fully rugged boxes. Um, so we've been partnered with Peter quite a bit uh, to try to push more ONTAP Select. Um, and there's so many different applications. People should probably listen to the podcast that we, we They should. But if they do, they'll, they'll notice that there's something very that's, that's missing from this event. And that is our ruggedized ONTAP system running underwater. What happened? <laughs> that one actually is still in development. Uh, we tried to get it for Las Vegas, um, but that didn't happen. So it's still being developed right now. All right, I'm waiting. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> All right. So, Gabriel, uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on here at the booth and what sort, of, what sort of reception has been here. So, basically, what we're trying to showcase right here is the type of flexibility that you get with ONTAP Select, the kind of deployments that you can make. It's all about offering the customers the right platform for their application and making them sure that ONTAP Select is going to run on, on top of that. So, we have the partner program which we're trying to bring as many vendors as we can to provide those options to the different customers. In terms of the uptake, I, I, we have had so many people come up to this and they were like, oh, is that really a data center? Is that all there is? It's like, oh my God, I have all these ideas about how I can use this for my application that I never thought of because I didn't know that ONTAP site could run on top of this platform. So it's actually been great. Did you know that the HCI booth over there was running ONTAP Select? Yeah, of course. Yeah, they're running that over there. They're doing some interesting things with modeling and that sort of thing over the sea. Uh, so that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, so, Peter, uh, what has been your take on the reception here, and what sort of new things can we expect from ONTAP Select? So we've been doing a number of roadmap sessions. We have a lot of interesting things come out. We talked a little bit about it in some of your previous sessions. Um, we continue to do very tight integration with the ESX environment and getting into vCenter, um, doing some uh, real optimized deployments around Select. We're, we're really trying to expand on being able to go from eval to production, some of all the things we've received feedback on. So EMEA is a strong market force. We've gotten a lot of great attention and feedback here. We're going to go home and do something about that. And so exciting roadmap, and I think a lot more to come. Yeah, I would imagine that one of the uh, selling factors of ONTAP Select here in EMEA is the the small, the, uh, the entry-level metric cluster capability with metric cluster over IP. Uh, has that been something that you've been asked about a lot about? Yeah, clearly. And so the MCC SDS platform continues to evolve, and uh, the next step is that we're actually going to release it for external arrays, which has been a lot of requests around here in EMEA. And so with that, we expand the market again, and we'll be able to deploy uh, select in, in that use case in a much higher quantity. What about the distance? We're still going to be at around 10 kilometer? So uh, the 10 kilometer is a marketing term. As most people know that when it comes to synchronous replication, it's all about the latency. And so we say 10-ish kilometers, which may really be 15 or something <laughs> like that. But uh, it, it, it comes down to, do you have a network that can sustain low latency for more so than a distance? And so uh, everybody usually realizes that. And, and so there's a much more... Um, granular discussion about metaphors in terms of that. And so great adoption, lots of interest, uh, really good success and experience with it in the field so far. We have had it deployed many places and at scale, and we really haven't seen any problems. 
So I always like to ask this whenever we talk about ONTAP Select and the portability. What's the weirdest or most interesting deployment you've seen of ONTAP Select? Well, I think we had the request here at Inside uh, uh, Barcelona, and somebody wanted to take it to space. That's probably a new level. Oh. <laughs> I have exactly. 700 meters underwater. That was my request. Yeah, <laughs> under, under the sea. <laughs> what about you, Gabriel? Actually, I, th- I heard about that one. <laughs> I told him I was talking to a guy that wanted to put on that like on space. And we were talking about that. Was it like I, we would make that happen? <laughs> was it a metric cluster in space? Like one node's up here. The other nose, and I doubt that that'd be impossible, right? So you asked for one most unique. <laughs> no, I know. I I want to hear that. It's interesting. I like to hear the most unique. I tout it very heavily in the ONTAP session. I like to show the drone and the self-driving cars and the police, you know, police car use cases. So there's a lot of good use cases for ONTAP Select. It's very portable. Have you have you ma- managed to run it on a phone yet? Uh, not quite, but I would say probably one of the real interesting one here is a combination of using our Trident and Kubernetes for the purpose of delivering business critical container services. And so think about marrying a MetroCluster setup with Kubernetes and the integration of that to really simplify it. And so people are doing that in real production environments today. And so, you know, it's interesting to talk about the extreme use cases. This is when it becomes real and what people are doing today. And so I think that's very interesting for us. Everything is moving towards containers, using a software-only containerized solution that can run on a broad variety of environments. That's really interesting. Rebecca, so what do you uh, what have you been hearing from people about vector data? A lot of people uh, in here in EMEA are not familiar with vector data just yet. Uh, we have a bigger presence in the U.S., but it is expanding quite a bit. I think people see the boxes and they're they're kind of in shock that you know you can run. NetApp on a small form factor system like that. So I think the word is getting out there. We definitely need to keep spreading the word. Yeah, and in, in Europe especially because it's very compact here. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of space to move around. So, you, you know, small form factors can definitely help out there. All right, anything else you guys want to add about Insight in general? What sort of thoughts you have? It's Barcelona. Nice weather. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> totally agree with that. Much better than Berlin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely like the weather here. The food, too. Tapas. Food's really good. <laughs> Paella, tapas. The ham. You guys had the ham? I'm, I've been touting the ham all week. I'm like a ham pusher. So, you, you remember Lady Gaga had the, like, the, the beef skirt? I'm going to wear a ham skirt at some point. That would look good. Yeah. All right, guys. I'm at the ONTAP Simplicity and Data Center Automation booth. Uh, so... Uh, with me is Yuvaraju Balaraman. Okay, Yuvaraju and Anil Agrawal. Agrawal, and uh, we're here to talk about simplicity. So, uh, what sort of things are you guys talking about when people come into the booth? So, we are talking about how do you manage ONTAP in a very simple way. So, on command provides a portfolio of the products to manage ONTAP, and that lets uh, enable our customers to manage their on-tap infrastructure in a very simple way. So we are talking about the products called System Manager that comes on box with the cluster. So when a customer buy the cluster, it's already there. So they can start using it right away. And if a customer has multiple clusters, a data center label management product, we provide on-command unified manager that monitors their on-tap infrastructure across the data center. 
वी आर ऑल्सो टॉकिंग अबाउट नेटवर्क नेटअप सर्विस लेवल मैनेजर एंड नेटअप सर्विस लेवल मैनेजर लेट्स अनेबल आवर कस्टमर्स टू यूज स्टोरेज एज ए सर्विस एंड कॉन्फिगर दैट वेरी इजीली सो दैट्स वॉट वी आर टॉकिंग अबाउट सो इट ऑल्सो लेट्स ऑटोमेट द मैनेजमेंट ऑफ द ऑन टैप Okay. So what are some of the most uh the things that people are most interested interested in talking about when they come to the booth? So a uh, lot of people are coming over here. Can you tell us how do we automate the management of the on-tap systems? We have many clusters, so NSLM is the answer for them. And many people are already using what WFA so they come here and ask, "Hey, can you tell us so we have already been using WFA, how NSLM can help us over here?" And they also come here, "Hey, we we have been using uh, on-command unified managers in some time." and we are pretty happy with it since you unified that so that's the kind of feedback we are getting and these are the questions mainly what sort of things are new in things like system manager uh with system manager you know that any new innovation which comes with ontap they kind of try to bring it on board with system manager so with fabric pool and flex troop any new enhancement like the quota which were which came in as part of the quota enforcement to be specific with 95 that's available with system manager and also for max data uh, the tiering what you do to the aff right the ssd and that's also coming in as part of the 9.5 release and along with it uh, when somebody wants to do an upgrade of an on tap system the ability to download uh, the on tap image onto the laptop and then up- upload it from there to the on tap system that's been something which, is, which people have been asking and this feature has been available from 9.4 so essentially right from setting up an on tap system to upgrading it to having support for all the innovative features so so that a customer based on his business needs he he doesn't have to spend too much trying to learn it we make it simple for him to adopt it using system manager that's where that's what has been driving system manager yeah did you add support for flex cache and uh, snap mirror synchronous in this release uh we have support for snap mirror synchronous so uh depending on the workloads protection requirement right from asynchronous to synchronous snap mirror so you can depending on the protection needs you can set up you can use any of that with system manager so not just that with 9.5 system manager we have support for storage virtual machine disaster recovery so you can do svm dr with system manager that was asked for a long time you have it now with 9.5 Yeah, it's awesome. Somebody actually asked me in one of my sessions, "Do we have that?" I didn't know the answer. Now I know the answer. It is there. Uh so, but no flex cache, right? Uh flex cache, no. A uh, flex cache, it's compatible. It doesn't break, but uh, as a support, we don't have flex cache with uh, 9.5 system manager. Okay. I expect that in a future release though, right? Um I was going to ask. I had something that's off my head. Oh, um so REST API, are you guys doing anything REST API support in system manager today? uh sister not actually system manager we are doing rest api support in on command unified manager okay and the uh, on command unified manager from 9.4 onwards is doing the rest apis anything else you guys want to add about what you've seen or done here at netup insight uh absolutely actually over here we get a lot of uh, kinds of queries over here and uh, nslm we see a lot of good traction over here uh, netup service level manager which is a good thing actually we really want to promote this product and people to get aware of it and understand how to our field to understand how to position it and all that so that is all getting done over here so which is great actually like yeah we've done a few podcasts on NSLM uh, anything that you want to talk about with insight 
Insight, Insight is always a good opportunity to have customers, partners, everybody coming in, trying to learn what's new, how they can adopt the newer technologies. It's a very good platform and having it in Vegas as well as in EMEA gives an opportunity for all of us to come, interact, mingle, learn. Uh, it's a great platform. I think we should start uh, continuing with it going forward. Yeah. So what about your sessions? How are your sessions? My sessions were really good. Uh, I had one on uh, performance, performance using Unified Manager. We had close to 300 uh, folks coming in for two sessions. Two sessions, so. 300 each? No, 150 oh. each. Okay. <laughs> I was worried you're going to beat my attendance record. It's okay. Yeah, I can't beat uh, Justin yours as well as Fabric Pool's record. I can't take credit for the ONTAP session because they don't come for me, they come for ONTAP. Okay. So that's, that's my benefit, but they come for you. Right, so the performance sessions were really good. So with Unified Manager, we provide them the ability to look at a storage latency by cluster component. So they can understand where exactly the contention is happening. So that was something very unique, which customers found uh, that will enable them to understand where exactly the latency is happening. So because when you have an application and if there is a uh, high latency being absorbed, one of the reasons, one of the places where they look at is, is storage causing this latency, right? And within storage, they, want, they would like to understand where is the weight happening, where is the contention happening. So this feature is being brought in as part of Unified Manager where we talk to Onta, we do all the analytics and we make it easier for them to understand. So this is one of the key uh, features which people really like. So it gives them the ability to understand even before going to NetApp support. Even uh, they don't have to analyze all the post stats. The tool allows them to do all this. So that's been one feature which people really like. And System Manager, you know, right? System Manager sessions went really well. We also had a portfolio session where we tried to give them, from a use case standpoint, how the tools within the suite of products come together to help them solve the entire life cycle. To give an example, if you take Synchronous Mirror, Synchronous Mirror, you can set it up using System Manager. With Unified Manager, you can look at the topology. And then if you want to get alerted, you can set alerts. When a relationship goes out of sync, something else happens, it alerts you. And then you can go back to System Manager and remediate it. And this kind of entire workflows, that's what really helps them understand how the tools, they, they kind of start looking at the on-tap feature through the tools and driving it through that, which is what we also want them to do. So with the performance stuff, it sounds like you're trying to put Tony Gaddis out of work. <laughs> so we are actually working with Tony Gaddis. So some of the work which Tony has done, we kind of pick it up, and then Tony has been a very good advocate of Unified Manager. So we always work with Tony. Tony, we're kind of contemporaries. Now we are not trying to put anybody out of work. So. Well, if, it's, if you're so fixing all the performance problems before he gets to them, I mean, what's he going to do? He's like the Maytag repairman. Tony has already started uh, up-leveling what he wants to do. He's uh, talking about application user. He's trying trying to enable the application user, not just the storage. So. For example, virtualization. So they're already controlling everything from the vCenter. He wants to enable them to see all the storage, kind of analyze it, and give it to him in a form which he can understand. So that's where he's moving towards, and we are with him on the journey. Yeah, sounds great. Sounds like an excellent use of his time and resources. I mean, we don't want him in perf stats all the time trying to fix stuff. We want him enabling people to be able to fix things themselves, because ultimately everyone wins when that happens. 
All right, guys, appreciate it. Amit, Yuvu, Yuva, sorry, not Yuva, Yuva. Thank you very much. Thanks. So there you have it, NetUp Insight from the ground.